Date of recording, February 23, 2021. Song credit, Hackers by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Media with Vedanta Kari. For today's episode, we're talking about the 80s. And my guest for today is Olivia Merriman. Hey, Olivia, welcome hi. back to the podcast. Yeah, hi. Um, it's great to be here. <laughs> of course, you just want to really quickly introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, so hi, uh, my name is Olivia Merriman. I am a sophomore at Ithaca College. Um, my majors are in television, radio, and history. And I also, I know Vedant through the uh, the ICTV show that we work on together. Uh, awesome. <laughs> Let's go game over. Let's go game over, <laughs> yes. And so you are the second Olivia on my show ever. And I plan to bring a third one sometime this season. So. I've never met another Vedant in my life. Maybe I did very briefly, but I'm just curious, what is it like to meet another Olivia? My funny story with that is that I'm pretty sure my mom tried really hard to name my brother and I both kind of uncommon names and then failed miserably both times. Uh, sorry, mom, if you're listening to this, uh, but my brother's name is Aiden and my name is Olivia. So um, Olivia is the third most common name in my year of birth. Um, so I encounter Olivia's a lot. It's not like the most common thing ever, like like a common name like Emily or something like that, um, but it's pretty common. Um, normally I just, we either do like last initials or um, I go by Liv with a lot of my friends. So that's how I ended up being called Liv so ubiquitously at colleges because there was another girl in my friend group who was also named Olivia. So she was Olivia and I was Liv. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's just, it's kind of cool. It's like, oh, hey. This is a little Shakespearean name that we all share in common. <laughs> it's a lot more peaceful than I thought. I thought if two Olivias met each other, they would be like, there can only be one Olivia. Forced to forced to duel to the death? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I think most Olivias are pretty chill people from what I understand. I was watching this uh, Indian show on Amazon Prime Video and one of the actor's name is Vedant. And I was like, oh my God, that is so cool. So- Whoa, yeah. Maybe one day, maybe one day I'll have the same fate as you. <laughs> and actually meet someone who shares your name. Yeah, no, I think uncommon names are cool. Um, that's that's my personal opinion. Like it's it's a fine line to walk, especially in America with the public school system with children who suck um, and will bully you. But I think names that are less common are entertaining. So. <laughs> yeah, you know what I think a criminally underrated name is in this country? Mackenzie. We need mm -hmm. more Mackenzies in this world. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Every Mackenzie I've met has been an awesome person. <laughs> so. I have no. I think I met one Mackenzie in my entire life. I think I've, I think I can I can I think I can think of like two, ever, and they're both very cool people. So. All right, you know this quick icebreaker there. I was just curious what yeah. that experience is like. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, so let's get on with the episode. So you grew up so much with '80s media, and before we started recording, you said that your entire life basically has culminated to this very moment. So. <laughs> Tell us your history with the 80s media. Honestly, the best term I can think of to like pull together this, like why I have so much 80s knowledge despite having been born in 2001, um, is this idea of like cultural currency. Um, 
And I think that's going to come up a lot in this conversation because it's really about this idea of like all this media that we share, like all this like cultural experience that we share collectively that we can talk about. And so that was always the idea behind all the movies that my mom made me watch. And my mom is pretty much solely responsible, although my dad had a few tossed in there um, for the amount of 80s movies that I've seen uh, because she considered them to be classics and that I could not have a conversation in society if I had not seen pretty much every John Hughes movie ever made. And so as a result, I've seen most of them and other 80s movies as well, not just John Hughes, but he's the most classic. 80s director so um even ones that are bad i've seen so <laughs> because my mom's just like no you got to see it it's a classic it's important and so um yeah i've seen an annoying amount of it's not actually annoying but like a lot of 80s movies and so it's just sort of this idea of um because people will like make casual references to stuff like the breakfast club and ferris bueller and all these sorts of different things is to be able to understand what's going on was sort of my mom's approach to that idea. And so it was like, okay, so now you need to see the movie. So when I make this reference, that's always how it came up. She would make a reference and I wouldn't get it. And then she'd be like, oh, I need to show you this movie. And so <laughs> then I would watch it. So like it's, it's, but it's really cool. I really like a lot of the movies that I have seen, but it's from a very interesting perspective of trying to keep up in conversation with people. Yeah. And did your parents grow up in the eighties or did they happen to watch it later on? Uh, it was sort of when they were in college, I think was a lot when the 80 eighties movies came out. Um, I can never remember their birth years off the top of my head, but um, no, it was definitely like a, it was during their formative years that a lot of these films came out. And so they're very important to them as a result. <laughs> yeah. And so out of all these 80s media, what would you say is the defining theme or commonality between all of them or most of them? I don't know. The first, the ones that immediately stick with me are always the like, teen coming of age movies. That's probably because also like in the modern day, they've sort of harkened back to that genre. So if you think about something like Ferris Bueller, then there's a movie like Easy A, which kind of pulls that same premise um, of like the way that it's shot and everything. Overall, like a lot of the 80s movies I've seen that are like really classic and stick with us are about human experience in some shape or form. And I think a lot of film is like that, but it's in like this really grounded way. Cause like there aren't a ton, although I say that as if I haven't seen an 80s movie that basically um, encapsulates the myth of King Arthur in like the most wild way I've ever seen. But um, <laughs> they're very like kind of down to earth-ish and like they can be dramatic, but they're very like real stories about people that are very easily relatable and like even though it's from a time that is not current now it doesn't mean it can't like you can't relate to those characters like the breakfast club is going to continue to be a like story that everybody can relate to regardless of time period because i think it stands the test of time um because it's like grounded in the time period that it exists in but at the same time all of those themes are still relevant so i think that's one of the biggest things about um 80s movies is this idea of like just people and their struggles and those things being relatable is kind of the, the the vibe of it, I guess. I agree with you on the part that even though these films came out 30, oh God, even 40 years ago. It, yeah, no, it's wow. not just... <laughs> Yeah, it's, 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 it's still relatable. I think Back to the Future is a really good example because they explicitly yeah, keep saying 1985 and it's a science fiction film, but you can still relate to characters like uh, Marty McFly and a lot of others. It's still a very good movie even today. Yeah, for sure. No, Back to the Future is another one of those that sticks through. Um, it's a little bit more wild and stuff like, is Bill and Ted the 80s? I think Bill and Ted is also the yes, 80s. Yes, Bill, Bill and Ted is 80s. Yeah, um, that one also is a, lot, a little more off its rocker and then there's movies like Weird Science. So I suppose they're not all necessarily grounded. But like, <laughs> I think it's one or the other. Either it's like really grounded or it just is not at all. And those are, there, there is no in between. Um, but yeah, no, there are definitely, yeah, Back to the Future is one of those as well that um, really stands. Bill and Ted is another one, is a good one we should talk about because they just made a new one. Yes. 
um, and it's still good. Like, <laughs> I only saw that one just recently because um, my mom made me watch the first one because we were going to watch the third one. And she was like, you need to understand the context. And as a history major, I'm kind of surprised I hadn't seen it up until this point because it's quite literally, let's run through time and grab historical figures. And then we're going to do a history presentation about it. I'm like, this is right up my alley. Like, I can look at a movie and say, oh, yeah, that feels very 80s, but I don't know if I could really properly put into words what that means. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> On closer inspection, because, like, there are some things that are true about some of them. And it just has a vibe. It's just a vibe. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I want to get back to uh, Bill and Ted 3, but before that, I, I just want to say that when I think of 80s, you know, I'm a television major, so I typically think of television. And the first thing that comes to my mind is all the commercialism. I'm sure you agree yeah, with that during the sure. 80s. Yeah, no, it was um, all the big, like, sponsoring of everything and all the, um, like, the 80s commercials. Um, and all these, like, it's got a very specific vibe and it's very, yeah. It's interesting because we think of, like, the 60s and the 70s as having very specific, like, color palettes and aesthetics and things like that. But I think the 80s also does. It's just more, it's closer to modern and so we don't pay as much attention to it, but there still, like, definitely is. It's, like, not quite as out there necessarily, but there definitely is a very strong sense of what the 80s looks like in my brain. <laughs> yeah, with the very flashy colors in your face commercialism. And um, I, I, I also wanted to talk about cartoons, as I'm sure you know, there were a lot of toy cartoons during the yeah. 80s. Um, obviously, Transformers, I think, is the biggest one. And did you know that they made a cartoon about the Rubik's Cube in 1983, I believe? I did. And it's for a very weird reason, because I put together this thing for my grandfather um, and for the 80s, I talked about the Rubik's Cube because I talked about that. I did this little documentary thing for his birthday. Um, and so it's very strange. <laughs> it's also very strange, like in the 80s and 90s and even before the amount that they took, um, they would like take Japanese television and then like place an American story. Like they would take shots from like Japanese action shows, like live action shows, kind of like Transformers. Um, and they would put like, American scenes in between to like create a storyline, but like the action sequences were completely different. Um, I don't think that Transformers exactly did this, but um, there were shows that kind of emulated that, that were um, like live action shows, um, Power Rangers. Power Rangers, kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah, that's the one. Um, so there were things like that as well in that kind of era, which I find really interesting because that's definitely not something we would do now. But back in the day, it was like, oh yeah, no, we'll just take these robots fighting each other from Japanese footage and stick some white kids there and it'll look good. And I'm like, okay, I guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but it's just crazy how even a Rubik's Cube and I think the California Raisin got a cartoon and they also made a cartoon yeah. about the Nintendo Power Glove. Oh and... yeah, the Power Glove. <laughs> oh, the Power Glove. An experience. <laughs> Yeah, everything got a cartoon, like anything they can make money off of. And not just toys, like I think Laverne and Shirley got a cartoon in the yeah. 80s where they joined the, I think it's the military, they joined the military. That sounds right to me. I've seen like an episode of Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, it's just the intro that says, hey, Laverne or hey, Shirley, you want to join the military? Let's join the military. <laughs> yeah. And I'm pretty sure it was just because Laverne Shirley is a very famous name and this needed yeah. to Onto something. Yeah, no, that's the same thing with um. They had like uh like the anima animated Adam Sandler shows that they've done, um, are similar or just like m the movies or taking um that concept and shifting it forward because obviously the Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler was in the sixties, um, but they've shifted it forward several decades and I am pretty sure there's an animated version if I'm recalling correctly that isn't just the movie that came out a couple years ago, um, I'm 
talking as if I know things. I'm talking as if I know things that I do not know for sure. But I feel like there's an animated, like it, it just feels similar to me. I don't know. I'm having a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so um, any, any other cartoons or examples of commercialism that you can think of other than the Rubik's like... Cube and the Power Glove? Yeah, I'm trying to think of like what 80s cartoons I've seen and I'm probably going to send my parents this episode and they're going to yell at me for forgetting all of the things that I've seen. <laughs> cuz a lot of cuz a lot of the cartoons I saw were like 60s or is Jetsons the 80s? No, the original Jetsons was the 60s but the movie was the 80s. That's what it was. <laughs> um so yeah, it's I guess that is something like um cuz the Flintstones had a movie in the 90s, but like this idea of taking old cartoons and like sort of updating them for the new era or whatever. Um is definitely something that they did in the 80s as well. Very recently, in the past few years, there's been this trend to go back and explore the 80s either via revivals or sequels or new properties entirely, like uh, Stranger Things, Carrie Diaries, Wonder Woman 84, though I think that's only for the Orwellian reference. Um, yeah. Why do you think there's such a sudden interest in the 80s? I don't know. And. Uh... I have a couple others that I'm going to, or I have at least one more that I'm going to toss out there. Um, this uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow also sort of does this where they go to the 80s, where they make 80s references or things along those lines. Um, I think, well, first of all, it's that um, writers who grew up in the 80s are now writing shows. And so it's something that they're familiar with. And so it's like, oh, yeah, let's put them in the 80s because I know how that works and I know what that looked like. Um, so that's something. I think that's definitely true of um, like Stranger Things, for example. I don't know. It's like distant enough in the past that it feels like a different era, but not far enough off that it feels like like a period piece almost. Obviously, if you get further back into like even in the 70s at this point, it feels like period pieces, but like the 50s or earlier or like World War II or any of those sorts of periods of time, it feels inherently like super duper historical in a way that the 80s doesn't. Like the 80s is retro, but it's not history, even though like everything is history to a degree. Um, but it just, it's a different feel. And so it's like, oh yeah. And so it'll appeal to older generations because um, they obviously grew up during that period or at least alive during that period. Um, and then for the younger generations, uh, obviously we've got like the resurgence of things like the record player and the cassette tape and all these things where it's just like, just cause we like things that are old. Like I own a record player. I am the first to admit that. Like I love like just the old vibe of things um, is very cool to me. And so it's not far enough away that it becomes no longer relatable but it is far enough away that it has like a very specific uh, visual look and all that sort of thing. And so I think it's fun to play around with from a filmmaking perspective, because there's a lot of things you can do in terms of set and costume and like, oh, look at this cool 80s feel that you've got going on. Like it's it's fun to play around with, I think. And that's why a lot of, I think a lot of filmmakers are still messing around with it is because it's fun. I've seen this example, not necessarily in the 80s, but in other cartoons as well. Like I've heard that Steven Universe, have you watched Steven Universe? Some, yeah. I've heard that in Steven Universe, they have VHS tapes sometimes, and I presume that's because that's what the writers grew up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they have, um, yeah, they have tapes that they they plug into the uh, the TV with the little um, VHS uh, slot under it, which I am pretty sure I had as a kid, but I can't remember, or somebody I knew did at least. <laughs> but like, yeah, no, that's definitely, um, yeah, the, in terms of technology is where it comes across the most, I think, because um, it's just, Sometimes your brain just routes to that automatically where it's like, oh yeah, no, you're just going to put the VHS tape in the TV, like then then or then it'll play like, or it'll be like, oh yeah, we got the DVD player. Like nobody is automatically at this point in time, nobody is automatically thinking, oh yeah, let's go bring up this thing on Netflix when they're thinking to write something that's usually a 
specific choice, but that's also commercialized in and of itself, of course. But like streaming services is not the immediate thing I go to when I think about it as a writer of like, I'm putting a video in to watch something. I'm either going to like just I'm looking it up on the Internet in general or I'm like plugging it into a DVD player. So that's that kind of idea of like that is just makes sense to you naturally. And so you just be like, oh, yeah, no, you just like plug in the whatever. Uh, <laughs> so I think I think that's probably it's a place of comfort or like automatic sense to the writer. I have this website pulled up. It's called tvshowpilot.com. And on your, it, it says modern shows set in 1980s. There's like this list of 25 mm -hmm. shows. And so some of them are uh, Stranger Things, The Americans, The Goldbergs, uh, Freaks and Geeks, all of that came out in 99. Yeah. So not too far, but that was also set in the 80s. And everybody hates Chris. Obviously the Carrie Diaries. Have you watched the Carrie Diaries? I have not, but I've heard of it. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> And also, This Is Us, uh, that 80s show. I was not aware the 80s show existed until just now. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it's not that good. Fair. I would imagine trying to recreate something as kind of iconic as 70s show would be hard. <laughs> yeah, and I think the last one I want to mention on here is American Horror Story 1984. That came out in 2019. Mm. Ah, yes. Yeah, no, I think a lot of those... Um, what a lot of those have in common and other ones I can think of that kind of harken back to that era is the idea of like, like the Goldbergs, for example, is telling his, his him telling stories about his family from when he was growing up. And so that plays into that idea of the writer just writing what they know about. And so, and I think a lot of um, sitcoms or dramas or any of those things that are set in that era are based on experiences that the writers would have lived through living in that era. And so that's one of the reasons that they pull on it. So I think that checks with what I was saying with the writer thing. I think that like even with um, Legends of Tomorrow, even when they're, when they're traveling in other eras, they'll still make references to things like Rock'em Sock'em Robots. And my mom's like, why are they making references to Nurse Ratchet and Rock'em Sock'em Robots and all these random things? I'm like, I don't know. I'm presuming that the writers are about the same age as you, even though they're writing for the CW, they're still going to make jokes that are <laughs> relatable to them and they find funny. So like, yeah. You already mentioned beforehand the 80s media that you really liked as a kid. Is there any particular 80s media that you hated as a kid? Goodness, I have a few. So like, I love The Breakfast Club and I love Ferris Bueller and Groundhog Day. I think Groundhog Day is also the 80s, it might be the 90s, but it's I'm pretty sure it's the 80s. Um, but like a lot of those movies I really liked. There were two that I vehemently despised upon watching them. And one is Adventures in Babysitting and the other is Weird Science. Um, in a quest to just watch most of John Hughes' movies, I watched Weird Science. It's bad. There are very few redeeming qualities about it. <laughs> it's one of those ones that's just really off its rocker. Um, and I don't remember why I hated Adventures in Babysitting so much. I just really did not want to watch it on the day that we watched it. And like, very little of consequence happens in it. And so I was like, or like of real consequence. And then Disney was like, hey, we're going to remake it like three years ago. And I was like, why? Why are you remaking Adventures in Babysitting of all movies? <laughs> why, why this one? <laughs> what about this story needed to be redone? I don't understand. So no, like I, I like a lot of 80s movies that I've seen, but those two in particular, I was like, why? Why is this film here? Why does weird science need to exist? Why do we need two teenage boys to use a computer? To, like It's a clever enough story, but just in execution, I just hated everything about it. And that's probably me also just being a woman. I was like, this movie is not written for me. It is very clear that this movie is not written for me. And I hate everything about it. <laughs> and so like, I get the demographic that it was going for, but it just does not hit me well. And there are a lot of John Hughes movies I feel like I really relate to. Even 
like I would even say Ferris Bueller is probably targeted towards a more like young male demographic, right? But I still absolutely adore that movie. I think it's wonderful. Um, so I don't know. I think there are just some movies that also just like don't stand the test of time at all. And those are some of them, um, especially Weird Science is like very, there are things that are like based in the cultural context of the time in which they came out that have since shifted and changed. Like nobody could make that movie now and get away with it. There's absolutely no way that they would green light that film. <laughs> like everybody would be like, wow, that's rampantly sexist. Why are you going to make that movie? <laughs> and so there are certain things that are um, 80s movies like that that I just hate for that reason because I'm like just um, in modern sensibilities even with like 16 candles that's another one like there are likable bits about 16 candles um, but there are like certain bits that I'm just like this is unforgivable they could never make this movie now because it's just mm, very bad <laughs> like in a sexist way um, there's a really racist caricature and yes a very sexist way um, there is a very dubious consent sequence in that film that is very questionable basically this girl is really really drunk and this guy bribes another guy to like give the girl to him and just so he's just sort of drives around and they don't actually i don't think they actually do anything but it's uh very yikes <laughs> but no it's it's a sexism and a racism thing and, and obviously the 80s is not the only one that is uh um commits crimes of such a nature but those are a couple that come to mind <laughs> gotcha and I've been meaning to watch Adventures in Babysitting. What was it Bab Adventures in Babysitting? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's fine. Like, it's not a bad film. I just was, I think I hit it on a day where I really didn't want to watch it. And my mom was like very adamant that we needed to watch Adventures in Babysitting. And I was like, I don't get why this film is so important to you. It's <laughs> um, so, like, I don't think it was necessarily bad. I just have a very strong connotation attached to it from my own brain. <laughs> Not necessarily hate, but what about overrated 80s films? Do you have any? Overrated. Um, I think there are movies that people think are overrated that really aren't. And like, I get this with a lot of media that people say is overrated. I think overrated is a really weak criticism in some ways because it doesn't really pinpoint what's unlikable about it in reality. And so just saying, oh, that film's overrated, just also it sort of smooths over what's likable about a thing and doesn't actually target what's unlikable about it. Um, and that's not to like critique your question or anything. That's just a natural thought I have about that word as I'm thinking about it. Cause like, I think people would say even, I think there are people who would say that the breakfast club is overrated. And I would vehemently disagree with that as a premise because I think there are lots and lots of really redeemable and wonderful things about that movie. And it's not just that I love it personally and I did an entire project on it in high school, which I did, uh, but I think People will take things that are classic and valuable and try to dismiss them by saying that they're overrated. If you had hit me on a different day, there's an entire possibility I would have had one in mind that definitely is overrated, but I can't think of one right now. Yeah, no, that's my take, is that I think there are a lot of people who will claim, especially in the genre of like retro movies, that they're overrated or really not that good. Um, and then they actually are, but it's like there are things that are critiquable about them, but they're not completely worthless on the basis of being overrated quote unquote or like too many people like them too many people like them is such a too many people like a thing is such a weird criticism <laughs> like that's what overrated really means right it's just like everybody yeah. thinks this movie is wonderful okay if you don't think the movie is wonderful that's fine like you can have a different opinion but thinking the movie is bad because so many other people like it is such a weird concept to me i don't i don't get it <laughs> oh no that, that's totally valid and would you mind describing this breakfast club project you did in high school yeah uh, okay so um i did this is where i got the term cultural currency from actually um i did a class um, at community college when i was in high school um for the record of the listener, um, I was homeschooled all the way through high school, and so I took um, dual enrolled community college classes in high school. So I did um, this class called Intro to Human Communication.
education. It was kind of like a speed 201 class. It was pretty easy and kind of like uh, just like the media industry's kind of like base level um, communications concepts. And our final project was to um, take a piece of media that talked about something we discussed in that class with like interpersonal relationships and like all the in like cultural currency and all these terms that we like learned over the course of the semester and about like communication and then do a project about it, breaking it down and what about it made that film or, or musical or piece of music or whatever um, relate to that concept, right? And so I was thinking about it and because we talked a lot about like interpersonal communication and how groups form and sort of like thought and stereotypes and all these sorts of different things. And I went, wait a minute, John Hughes wrote a movie quite literally about the topic of this class and it's The Breakfast Club. And so I convinced my group that I did it with to uh, do a presentation. We all dressed up as like the different characters and we essentially uh, gave this like PowerPoint that was um, breaking down sort of um, each character and like um, the mask that they put up in front of everyone versus how they're truly feeling. So that idea of like um, you sort of mask up when you go to uh, present to a social situation and masks can be different. Um, the idea of like group dynamics, um, the idea of like stereotyping and how they communicate with one another and how they communicate with authority. And so there was just, there are all these things that are just like wrapped up in this movie. And so it was basically just, we did a little PowerPoint presentation about that. Um, I was very proud of it. Um, also at the time, I can't do it anymore, but at the time I could recite the entire essay that they wrote their teacher at the end of the movie. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> I can't do it anymore, but it was very cool. I played, uh, so that was how we ended the presentation was we just played that last scene because I think it um, cinches up a lot about, um, sort of how they've grown as people, because they all sort of start, right, as like all these different categories of people, but sort of as they're forced to spend time with one another, it's sort of through these like communication dynamics that they realize that they aren't really that different um, because we are all human people who inevitably will all have something in common in the way that we act and behave, even if we all think we're relatively different from one another. So that was, it was a really fun project and I, I had a lot of fun doing it. I love when I get to talk about movies that I like a lot and that was one of them. Um, I've gotten to do that a lot more at Park, which I enjoy because they're like, ah, yes, write a movie, like write an analysis about a movie you've seen a lot of times and you really like. And I'm like, are you telling me I get to write a project about Spider-Man Homecoming? Because I will, I'll do it. Like, <laughs> So that's what I did. <laughs> that is such a coincidence because at the partial communications, I, for one class, I wrote a paper about Spider-Man 2 and why I like it so much. Mm -hmm. Spider-Man Homecoming is the reason I'm a film major, so I will always take an excuse to talk about it. Um, because I literally saw the movie and walked out and said, that movie makes me feel really good. I want to go make movies that make other people feel the way this movie made me feel. And this is actually surprisingly relevant because I think that the director of those movies takes a lot of inspiration from John Hughes. Because like I was saying with stuff like Easy A, there are movies that have been made more recently that have taken that like sort of coming of age story. And like the coming of age movie is super duper common now. Uh, Cause like the, the teen film and like the, the ladybirds and the, um, the eighth grades and the like, oh, there are so many different kinds of coming of age movies. But I think a lot of them um, pull from the same ideas that were kind of founded in those eighties movies that we all really enjoy. Um, and I think that's, Definitely true in both Spider-Man movies. And I know for a fact, um, the director has talked about how he's uh, had them watch John Hughes movies while they're working on it to like get the vibe of what he's going for. And the way that he writes about high school is really similar to the way John Hughes writes about high school. I say this as if I've been to public school, I haven't, but it feels really relatable. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like there are obviously every single version of high school is super duper dramatized, but, um, and so you can't really know how accurate any of it is if you haven't been there yourself um but it just even if it's not relatable it feels relatable 
because the characters feel relatable and the way that they interact with the structure around them feels relatable. And so I think um, Spider-Man does a really, the, the current Spider-Man movies do a really good job um, encapsulating that concept. I need to watch The Breakfast Club at some point. I You haven't the, seen The Breakfast Club? You need to watch it. It's so good. <laughs> the only reason I knew about The Breakfast Club as a kid was because I think Victoria did a parody episode about The Breakfast Club. Yes, yes, they did. Yes, my friend Rachel has told me about it. I have never seen Victorious, but I was told about The Breakfast Club parody episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and in the episode, I think Cat Valentine is, I think there's like a very repressed char- repressed female character in The Breakfast Club, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And so that's Cat Valentine in this episode. Yeah, no, I think that is my, um, that'll be my biggest takeaway for everyone for this episode. If you take away one thing, this is what a lot of my, some of my favorite teachers have always said. If you take away one thing is that you should watch The Breakfast Club because it's a really good movie. <laughs> and it really encapsulates, I think, a lot of what makes this era this era that I think is very cool. Yeah, I think my parents recommended The Breakfast Club to me. And unlike you, uh, my parents grew up in 80s India, so they didn't really mm-hmm. have that connection um, to American 80s media that you have. And so I, I think that you have a much stronger connection to Breakfast That's Club. Fair. And I think Back to the Future was one of the first uh, American movies that my parents watched in theaters. Yeah, it was very internationally popular from what I heard um, from the little bit of research that I've done. Um, it's funny what movies make it like two other places yeah. because that's one for sure. And then like the popularity of like, like random movies like Kingsman in Korea is like obscenely popular for some reason. And I'm like, it's a very good movie. I have no qualms against that. However, I think it's very funny that that's the one out of all the movies <laughs> that became incredibly popular. <laughs> like why that one <laughs> out of all the movies you could have chosen. <laughs> but yeah, um, no, that's definitely true that like, I say cultural currency, but I really mean like American cultural currency because there even then is going to be a degree of like people from other places aren't going to have the same. Um, Because movies are a part of culture and culture is vastly different depending on where you're from. So yeah, yeah, that's definitely a thing. I swear this is my final question about Breakfast Club, but what character did you play in this presentation? Uh, I think her name is Allison the Basket Case, the one who wears all black, because uh, that is most of the clothes I own. <laughs> I, so I had like this skirt and I had a sweater on and everything. Yes, I was, I was, and also because my hair is the right color. So <laughs> um, I did like, I did like the dark circles under my eyes even more than I already have them and everything. And so it was, it was a fun time. Yeah, no, I was, um, I was Allison. <laughs> that sounds cool. <laughs> Are there any other 80s TV shows or movies that you would recommend to people besides The Breakfast Club? <sighs> Breakfast Club? Um, Ferris Bueller is probably the other one. Um, I think my mom would personally murder me if I didn't recommend Ferris Bueller because it is one of her favorite movies of all time. <laughs> it's also very good. Just It is very good. So um, I know I've seen more 80s shows, but none of them are coming into my brain. So I got nothing on that front. But um, no, definitely Ferris Bueller. Um, just like a lot of John Hughes movies are really good because um, a lot of the ones that like stick in my mind are like Pretty in Pink is also good. A lot of people don't think it is, but I think it's a lot better than people give it credit for. Um, and like, yeah, no, those would be my biggest three. Those are like my, probably my favorite three 80s movies that I come back to. Yeah, um, I, I would recommend Back to the Future and back to the uh, Future, yeah. Bill and Ted 1, that's a great movie. Yes, Bill and Ted 1 was wonderful. I watched that in uh, January, I wanna say, before I left for school. Um, it's very fun. I enjoyed that one a lot. Keanu Reeves is a f- wonderful person. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is a national treasure. Yes, there we go. That's the word I was looking for. National treasure. He's a national treasure. Keanu Reeves is wonderful. <laughs> oh yeah, would you recommend Bill and Ted 3, by the way? Yeah, no, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I watched it right after I watched Bill and Ted 1. As a queer person, I appreciated the like 
it was it just felt very I don't know. I just I got vibes from it, um, especially that the daughters they gave me gay vibes, and that's weird to say, but I'm allowed to because I have myself that thing. <laughs> I don't know. I just like, and obviously that's like it's not written into the movie that way necessarily, but I just like I felt just a degree of kinship with the main characters that I liked a lot, especially because like Bill and Ted again was not written for me. It was written for a much more male demographic because it was viewed through the eyes of male characters. So getting to see um, their daughters go on a similar adventure was really cool um and i enjoyed it a lot and they i liked how it incorporated some like some people we'd seen before and some new people and some celebrities that kind of became celebrities after the first movie had come out and so they were like incorporating new bits and pieces of history um while still incorporating things in the franchise we'd seen before and i'm kind of picky about sequels sometimes with stuff like this but this one was actually really solid i i enjoyed it a lot you mentioned a couple of times that writers write what they know people produce what they know like with the 80s and so um since we're both communication students i was wondering how do you think people will make media about the 2010s i was wondering if you had any thoughts about that this is kind of rolling back to that thing about how we were like wow the 80s are like 40 years ago now um i have a couple of characters that i've created that exist in like 2030 um in like various role-playing game campaigns that i play and i was like oh yeah no she totally listens to like um like punk music from the 2000s and then i realized that her in 2030 listening to punk music from the 2000s was the equivalent of us listening to 80s music now and i was like oh my god <laughs> time is a structure <laughs> time is a structure <laughs> just like or just time is wild considering that like in because that's 10 years from now that's gonna be nine yeah nine years from now that's like gonna be like 30 years ago that's obnoxious to me <laughs> because i've been alive that long um, so like for me like listening to like a paramore from like 2005 does not feel off to me but in 2030 that's going to be the same as us listening to 80s music that is it's not really on topic but it kind of is and i was just thinking about that i don't know i think it's hard to say from a perspective of now how people are going to write about now from the future in terms of like how they're going to encapsulate fiction. The world is always changing and so it's not like I can say it'll be like when we get to the age of the people who are writing the shows right now we'll be able to just like reflect back on the way that they can in the 80s. It's entirely possible that we will be able to do that, but I don't know for sure that we will because the turnover is so much quicker feeling now than it was back then. Yeah. Well, think about it this way. Like we have old memes, right? And whenever we see old memes, we automatically are like, that's cringe because it's like whenever a corporation tries to use like a grumpy cat or like a success kid or something from like the 2000s, we're like, this feels wrong. This feels incorrect. This is very out of place. And so I don't know, it might be possible to see it from more perspective once we're not in it anymore. And obviously we're not in the 2010s anymore, but it still kind of feels like we are because I've been alive through all of it and it doesn't really feel like the world has changed that much. There's gotta be some more distance from it before we could feasibly say how we're gonna write about the 2010s because right now it just feels like we'd be writing outdated memes and then it's just gonna feel wrong. <laughs> gotcha. And I mean, the best I can say is that we might poke fun at early 2010s, mid 2010s. Like, yeah. wow, people were really into Justin Bieber and Oh no, we will 100% make fun of pop culture and fashion from the 2010s. 100%. We already do that. <laughs> so like... Yeah, like, people were really onto mustaches in 2013. <laughs> oh no, not the mustaches from 2012. Oh no. <laughs> oh god, yeah. No, yeah. the, but that's the thing is like, my natural reaction is to cringe when I hear stuff like that because I'm like, yeah, I was alive during that period of time where that was a thing. I remember people who were like that. 
I hate everything about that as a premise. <laughs> but no, it'll be fun to make fun of for sure. I just, I don't know if it will be treated the same way as we tend to treat the 80s now because we make jokes, but I don't feel like we make jokes about the 80s the way that we make jokes about the 2010s. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a different dynamic. Yeah, and I want to move on from this quickly, but I just want to say you mentioned quite turnover. And I think that's right because so much is changing. I don't think there's really something that this singular event or two or three events that defined the 2010s, like they did with commercialism, Wall Street in the 80s or what have you. So it's going to be really hard. Yeah, there were so many things happening that I'm like, you can't just quickly because like I was saying, there's like a vibe of what you get about the 80s. There is not there is a vibe of like a span of like maybe three years, maybe maximum that you can get in the 2010s. But there was just so much that happened in them that it's like impossible to really encapsulate all of them as a full decade together in the way that you can with the 80s. And again, that might become more true. That might become more possible as we manage to encapsulate that a bit a little bit more because we're again barely out of the 2010s. But <laughs> Um, no, it just it feels like a very different ballgame because of how quickly everything's moving and changing um, that because the evolution of technology and the universe has just allowed that to become more possible. Yeah, I just asked that because I was just curious, like prediction wise, what it's going to yeah. be like since we talked so much about the 80s. Yeah, for sure. No, that's definitely an interesting question. I just don't know if we have an answer for it right now. <laughs> gotcha. And so do you have any final comments, Olivia, about anything we mentioned or forgot to mention? No, I think that's it. I think we got, I think that was a pretty solid examination of it as a, as a collective topic. All right, Olivia Merriman, thank you so much for agreeing to be on this episode of Let's Talk Media, especially because you, like me, have a very chaotic life post-COVID with the Zoom classes and the TV production stuff. And you're also a theater person, I believe. Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Of course, I'm happy to be on as always and to talk about fun stuff. So uh, thank you for having me once again. 